0: Good evening. You're listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I am your host, Troy Goodfellow. Uh, as we I think this is concluding our Winter of Wargaming, and we are recording on what I think is the first day of spring, but who knows? I could be off by a day, off by a few hours. Whatever. Uh, and with me on our winter of the Winter of Wargaming is, of course, the King of War, the God of War, Ares himself, Dr. Bruce Garrick. Yeah, hello gamers. That is never going to stop being creepy. There's,
1: there's a creepier version of it.
0: I <laughs> uh, will leave that between you and your wife. Mm. Uh, right now, uh, we're going to be wrapping up uh, the winter of war gaming. I think we're wrapping it up. Rob might have a, something else he wants to add. Uh, since the rest of the world is spinning into a brand new Cold War, uh, it's probably appropriate that we talk about... Uh, the new game about the Cold the Cold War that turning hot the uh, Flashpoint campaigns Red Storm on target is a developer uh, publisher Matrix Games it is a game set in uh, the end of the Cold War although the Cold War doesn't end it's 1989 and instead of taking their defeat like men uh, the Communists decide the Red Army decides to invade Germany. And we have a series of a long campaign and a series of scenarios set in the the Gap area uh, and beyond. Uh, there are large scenarios, large campaigns. Um, we've, I'm not sure if we talked about Flashpoint Germany before in the podcast, but uh, it's from the same people and a lot of the similar ideas. Now, although uh, it has hexes. Is, although it has hexes, yes.
1: The previous one did not.
0: That is true. Uh, but this is much larger much more elaborate uh it's kind of neat and i think it's probably um a good place to start and end uh start the new cold war and end the winter of war gaming uh, with a really modern uh we've done a lot of world war ii stuff and i think it's nice to do something with you know m1a1s and t80s and tornadoes and Mm -hmm. all this fun modern stuff uh, that we see in some of our other favorite war games so bruce um what struck you when you play when you played this? And you've probably put in as many hours as I have, probably more. Uh, what do you think separates this design from many of the other war games we've talked about on the show this winter?
1: Um, well, uh, it has hexes, uh, as I said. Um, I think that uh, this is an interesting game to talk about because it sort of puts together a whole bunch of design concepts from a lot of games that. I can think of, um, and it sort of espouses sort of a hybrid uh, design philosophy uh, regarding just how you represent things and what things you make important uh, mm-hmm. in a game. Uh, I will point out, just so we, so our listeners who have not, um, who have not uh, been uh, following series, the series, the first one, Flashpoint uh, Germany, Came out in like 2005, I believe.
0: Yeah, well, yeah that's right. It was a long time ago. It,
1: it's, it was quite a while, um, and I guess um, I mean, I this is the same team. I have to say that I I, uh, I recall it being I don't recall it being on target as the developer, but maybe they changed their name. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, this is the game that um, the game that we're playing here. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's the same developer. Um, the game that we're playing here is, it, it looks like a hex based war game, but it's not exactly, um, there are, what
0: do you mean by that?
1: Well, so I think that if you, if you step back and think about how people, um, have historically tried to depict, uh, to depict war in games, um, anything that comes from the board sort of, uh, tradition obviously has to have things like hexes or squares or whatever. And, uh, I think there was a reasonably, uh, robust effort by some developers to sort of sidestep all that and come at wargaming from a, from a very, um, uh, you know, computer game centric, uh, standpoint. I think some of our listeners may rega- uh, recall a game called, uh, was, I think it was I think it was was it drive on Moscow or race to Moscow road oh. to Moscow that's it sorry road okay. to Moscow there's a game called road to Moscow um, that I think interactive magic was developing and they were sort of talking about how hey you know we don't have to have hexes anymore um, we can uh, we can sort of represent everything incrementally you know on an actual map uh, it was an operational level game where you sort of gave um, gave orders to formations and you watch those formations move and, um, you know, engage in combat, but they, it wasn't on an actual hex grid. Um, And uh, that game was one of the famous vaporware games of uh, of the 1990s. Um, But, some games they're, they're, did follow in that tradition, and the the idea was that you would just
0: the conquest of the Aegean, the, 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 the Panther games, for example.
1: Panther games, they exactly. So Panther, yeah. so Panther games, um, is uh, f- sort of known for the fact that they took you know individual unit icons, but then abstracted the 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 units sort of um, location into that that point from a display standpoint but the understanding was that the unit actually did occupy more space and then units would have these sort of arcs of of position that they would come into contact with each other they moved in real time you moved on an actual map um, there's another i don't know if you're familiar with the with uh, patrick proctor's uh company prosim yeah so patrick proctor then you know uh is actually a, he's a, a military officer who Uh, basically decided that he was going to uh, sell what is essentially sort of a, uh, I think, military-grade simulator as a game. And I reviewed uh, several of his uh, products uh, a while back. Gosh, it's got – over 10 years ago.
0: Yeah, they were published by Shrapnel.
1: Yes, they were. And those games did the same kind of thing um, but in a much more – how should I put it – crude or, or less polished way, let's put it. Um, and those games were almost like, uh, I mean, they, they really didn't use any board gaming or any really gaming conventions. It was all sort of, you know, military, uh, symbology and military, um, planning sort of, uh, paradigms. Like if you, if you were an actual commander, then you just did the stuff that you did every day at work. Um, for gamers, that was a little hard to assimilate. So uh, I don't know that those games ever became very popular, although they had a lot of interesting ideas. Um, but they also didn't have really the uh, visual reward that I think a lot of um, people are looking for in a war game. And mm-hmm. so what what Flashpoint Campaign's Red Storm does uh, is that it, it sort of takes the visual representation of a board game and then adds a whole bunch of stuff to it, but anchors it in the idea that you at least have these, you know, you you have these individual uh, counters. I mean, they look just like board game counters. Mm -hmm. They sit on a board game map. Uh, The map is very much uh, stylized to conform to the, to the hexagons. You know, he, the um, one of the problems with not doing that where you had just had these maps and units kind of, you know, roam around the maps is you're never really sure. You know, what terrain are you in? How how is this path going to uh, be? A, this how is movement going to be affected by the particular path I'm taking in the terrain? Um, so, using a hexagon uh, as a unit of movement rele- releases you from a lot of uncertainty, um, yep. and also makes you. Uh, Sorry, I think for gamers it's very familiar, um, but then under all that is a bunch of uh, sort of simulation type uh, representation where you're keeping track of individual uh, vehicles and uh, you know combat capabilities degrade by you know by percentage points and things like that. Uh, so hidden under this whole um, board game uh, in- initial presentation is a lot of uh, sort of detail that you have to dig into.
0: Yeah, this is a game with a lot of information. Uh, yes. Uh, it's not something I recommend you playing without um, – I mean, this is a game that has a tutorial scenario, but you have to – the tutorial is a separate manual. Yes. It's so a separate document you have to read, which is kind of, you know, get 2014, guys. I mean, right. let's have a right. pro- proper scenario here, <laughs> a proper tutorial in the game. Uh, but you really do need to dig into the manual to get the most out of what's going on here. You're not going to be helped out a lot by tooltips or anything. Uh, yeah, they, I mean I, they do
1: try to. I mean there are tooltips. I mean if you mouse over uh, a hex, you see all the units that are um, yeah. in that hex. You get uh, you know a text uh, explanation that um, shows you various things like how much cover they're in, their elevation. Um, so they do try. I mean it's not like the uh, it, it's it's not like the um, uh, it, it's not like the ProSim games. Right, um, but it, it is pretty. It can it can be pretty opaque. Now, <clears throat> the other thing that the game does, and um, which is sort of in 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 between a board game and um, the um, Panther uh, Sims games, is that uh, you have a lot of time to plan your moves, uh, but then they're executed simultaneously. So it's a it's a we yep. system. I guess the the term for it is. So you sort of watch the game unfold, and um, it. I I like the way that uh, I like the way that the system works for things like limited uh, information, limited intelligence, um, because you have the combination of the game uh, system and rep- representation. You can see sort of where the line of sight is. One of the things that was impossible for me to ever figure out um with um uh the patrick proctor's uh, Prosim games uh was because i'm not really used to constantly reading topographical maps is that i could never see know who saw who or who could right. see who or where i could see or whatever um, but uh with uh i I am extremely familiar with reading board wargame maps and uh i'm I'm pretty comfortable deciding where um where a unit's line of sight is now uh one thing that does bother me about the map is that um the darker the hex uh the higher the elevation which is uh kind of frustrating um because that's kind of the opposite of what i would expect uh and it's all green so uh, um i don't I have some problems with the with the way they do that, but I guess if you you, just, you have to adjust your eye to how how the game works.
0: If, if you were c- color this would not be a good map. No,
1: yeah, that's yeah, that's a yeah. You should not, you should. Well, uh, the the maps are all pretty much green, although the, the shading is. Um, uh, I guess if you're, I guess there's, it's all, it's all some variation of green. So it's all, it's all, um, it's all really sort of uh, intensity of of uh, of color, yep. but. Um, It's a great hybrid. Uh, The question is, how much of this information do you want to dig through to play the game? Um, Because once you step away from the sort of the hex and counter presentation, things go um, sort of into, uh, into information overload very quickly. I will point out that there are other games that are hex and counter that do this to some extent. For example, John Taylor's HPS games um, they keep track of individual, you know, units and, and, you know, vehicles and things like that. But when you select a unit, it immediately shows you, you know, they have, they have little boxes on the side it's, it's sort of like the unit has its individual representation sort of placed directly on the map board. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit more board gamey than this. So if you're, if you're not used to board war games, that's fine because it only, it's only going to help you uh in sort of incrementally here i think
0: so one of the great things about this game and other games like it is it how it captures something that rob and i have talked about a few times in the show that is the closewitzian idea of a friction mm-hmm. in a war mm-hmm. how um this is a game that you it it, it it's we go it's simultaneous turns right the turns start in nice little 15 minute chunks right and then that, they start degrading. Mm-hmm. They start taking longer. Right. And the orders you send out to the front take longer to get started. Yes. It's, like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a, c- a combat mission in a way. Because mm-hmm. in a combat mission, you would it, you'd send your troops out, so again, people are familiar with. You'd give your troops general orders. And to change those orders, there would be kind of a penalty for getting those new orders right. listened to and mm-hmm. translated. And you get that in Flashpoint. Campaign's Red Storm. So I'm going to call it Red Storm. Uh, now you can say, "Well, how does this make sense in our modern era of communications?" Well, they say, "Well, it's a many things. It's the chaos of war. It's right. electronic jamming. It's destruction of headquarters. You've got to keep your headquarters both safe because once they're destroyed, you can just pretty much run roughshod over any enemy that's too far from a headquarters. And you also got to keep your headquarters not." in one place Mm -hmm. Uh, because if the enemy finds where they are uh they can just do counter batteries they can send airstrikes artillery stuff on it so you have this moving your headquarters around which takes up you know movement points and action points or command points at the same time as you want to have a flexible plan Ideally, NATO wants a flexible plan because that's what they're more capable of a flexible plan. Mm -hmm. The Soviets, as their doctrine pretty much dictated, are going for that one big punch. And at first I thought, this is just bad AI, you know, they're always heading straight for Mm -hmm. the victory points, in which, oh, I could just set up nice little turkey shoots, little ambushes. But that's really kind of reflecting the inflexibility of the Soviet command. Mm -hmm. They are... They are heavy on manpower. They will punch through, but they can't afford to have a whole lot of friction and flexibility and nuance. And if you can shake up the other side's right. command structure and command orders, you have this sense of disruption and this sense of chaos that um, it can make the turns, it can make the campaign, make the battle scenarios really drag out, and there's some real tension in waiting for the order to get to a tank unit that's straight a bit too far away. Right. Um, and it might be in the right place, but you can't give it the order it needs to, you want to make a flanking maneuver, but the order is not getting there fast enough. Right. And it's waiting and waiting and waiting. And the sense of friction, I think, is very well built in to the way the the system is working.
1: Yeah. So they, I mean, they, they do, uh, factor in things like electronic warfare, yep. uh, and, in, uh, the ability to, uh, degrade the enemy's, uh, command, uh, structure. I mean, I think it, I think that the way that you experience the game uh, can be very frustrating but that frustration is sort of an enjoyable frustration that illustrates the problems that you would face in this sort of situation and, and solving those problems is actually pretty satisfying, I find um, even though sometimes I'm not quite sure how, I'm, how the game's getting there Um, Well, since you brought it up, talk a little bit about um, how you experienced the, 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 you know, the command points and the... um uh, you know, ability to change orders and, and how. Just like the, for re- listeners who haven't played this game at all and, and haven't. Uh,
0: uh... Well, you, you, you set up waypoints for your units. Right. This isn't a, this isn't a game where you click on a unit and you say attack in that direction. Mm-hmm. The, the attacks are generally automated. If a unit is in range, it will tend to attack. It. Right. You can not set up assaults to overrun, but generally the point of the game is to get your troops in the right position to fight. Right. You're not you're not telling your tank units to attack. Mm-hmm. You're telling them get here and. If you see something to attack, you attack it, and you are trusting your commanders to know what they're doing. Um, so you're giving your soldiers these waypoints, and they're j- around roads or around across bridges, or to take down bridges, or what have you. So, and so you set up a certain number of orders. Mm-hmm. Eventually you'll hit a limit, a point at which the efficiency of the orders getting out there starts to break down. a if, if the number of command points or sequences or something uh, gets into this box. And as jamming clicks in or you get too far away from your headquarters, mm-hmm. there will be a delay in these orders. So they'll stick to the original plan. Um, you can stop units pretty much any time. Orders to stop seem to be 100% perfect. Mm-hmm. Orders to turn left, however, <laughs> do not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a, as I said, there's a penalty for doing that As as a, person trying to play this and you know when I first started I said what the heck I don't need any stick in manual I've played these games before mm-hmm. um I kind of forgot about that so I'd read about this but I kind of forgot about it. so I was wondering hey why aren't these units moving are they out of gas are they out of <laughs> fuel what's going on oh no they've checked their fuel supplies and they have plenty of ammo or their morale's fine what's going on I've, I've realized oh crap they're just not getting the instructions mm-hmm. um and this is really an interesting problem because you have to hit if you want you you part of me wants to make that gallant long this is how I figured it out this beautiful armored sweep around the Soviet north because mm-hmm. they're busting towards the bridge so I did this beautiful elegant flanking move to sweep down on their side and I would just set up with my chieftains as go bang 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 mm-hmm. and it'd be perfect and they just kind of stopped and they were sitting there were this beautiful movement started going very slowly, mm-hmm. and the train hadn't changed, mm-hmm. and I was wondering, okay, I, I just gave them some new orders, what's going on here? My headquarters was too far away, there was artillery in the area, uh, all of these things were disrupting, uh, and things that I hadn't thought about or have had forgotten about, and this was c- very cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, I had a unit that just, I'd given it really long orders, and I realized it was still following those orders. I had to I could tell it to stop, but and I did, um, but the plan had changed because now I had these units that could not follow their new orders, and they were going to be sitting ducks if the Soviets found them first. Right. Uh, so this was a night. So it's my I I, I, I almost hoisted myself, my own petard mm-hmm. by forgetting that I have to make sure that. If the situation changes, then I can tell my guys, hey, the situation has changed. Right. Because that's really what this war is about. It's about not just having the information, it's being able to communicate that information to the units that need it. Um, and that's really kind of interesting from the perspective of so many war games where you are, you're not really Napoleon, because Napoleon's a unit on the map, mm. you are kind of the god of pushing things around mm-hmm. and moving them, and there's always going to be responsiveness unless they have a morale break and they're cowards, you know, they're pretty much going to do what they're told. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, except under very few rule conditions. The idea that there isn't going to be an immediate response is something you see in a few war games here and there, mm-hmm. and when that does happen, it's really kind of a sweet experience. Yeah. So,
1: <clears throat> it, along those lines, there was a game, the g- actually a game system, uh in the early 80s uh called this that reminded me of this when i saw it It was called assault um it was um uh, i think i've mentioned it on the show before it was published by game designers workshop and uh there were ultimately a number of games it took a while for the for the series to come out uh assault came out which was sort of a basic uh nato versus warsaw pact tactical game it was it was very similar actually the um uh, only difference is that I think the uh, the it was platoon level, and I actually checked before we started podcasting. And the um, the scale here on uh, Flashpoint: Colon Campaigns Dash Red Storm uh, is uh, is five hundred meters per hex, and the uh, the the assault uh, scale was two hundred fifty meters hex. So it's actually uh, this is twice as big, which is actually pretty big. Uh, half a click as the uh, military people would say, but, uh, um, the, uh, the concept was very similar, which is that it was trying to show sort of command, uh, differences between the two sides, so, because that's really what this is, right? I mean, yeah. you're, as you rightly pointed out, I'm not clicking on units and, and, and sort of micromanaging which tank shoots at which enemy unit. And, you know, it's, I'm not even, it's not even like, um. Uh, war game Airline battle right where I'm I'm trying yeah. to get my tanks to fire at his uh, you know anti aircraft batteries I mean, you're,
0: and, and you're 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 not even setting up firing right. arcs you're not even saying shoot in this direction no. I mean you can tell your things to change direction but you can't tell them really you know c- cover that hillside right
1: it's you're 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 really and there's no facing in this game which there was in assault yeah. at at the two I, I still don't think I don't know at 250 meters a hex I'm not sure how uh, how Appropriate facing was that was always I think a little bit of a um, uh, sort of controversy about that game system. But uh, what the, what assault did um, and there were multiple games. There were boots and saddles added the um, uh, helicopters, uh, Bundeswehr, and it uh, added uh, the German uh, uh, and I think some some Warsaw Pact allies. And then uh, uh, I can't remember what the I think it was Chieftain added the uh, British. Um, so you could, you could basically play with a whole bunch of different nationalities, just, uh, uh, like you can here. Um, but, um, the goal of the game really, I thought from the, or at least the way that the game was designed was you had a certain number of command points and you could spend them. The command points, uh, were, it cost you twice as much in command points to order a unit that you couldn't see. Uh, so you might, it would cost you one command point to order a unit in your line of, for, <clears throat> when, when I say you couldn't see, it was actually that the, the, the subordinate units, uh, headquarters couldn't see. So right. the headquarters can't see it. It, uh, costs two, uh, command points. If the headquarters can't see, it costs one command point. Um, and, uh, the way that they showed sort of the, uh, flexibility of the, of NATO or the inflexibility of the pact was that um, the pact had much uh, had a much smaller command point pool uh, and uh, more units but it could order uh, units uh, it, the, the Warsaw Pact could order its own units uh, at a low cost because it could order, an entire formation. So I think it was a, it was a platoon level game, but you know, you could order, a, a, you know, a whole bunch of subordinate, uh, platoons. They were all part of the same formation, uh, as long as they all did the same thing. So right. if you wanted to, uh, order, you know, these, th- these three tank platoons that were all, uh, part of the same, uh, formation, as long as they all spent the same number of movement points and made the same, uh, were it, facing the same way and, uh, took the same actions, uh, you could, uh, you order them all for that one, one or two points, depending whether you could see them or not. And <clears throat> that sort of led to these, these, it was called Soviet battle drill actually. And, and it was simulating what, what really is a, uh, what, or what was, uh, a, an attempt by the, um, Soviets to solve their problem of having to order around, um, Uh, a large conscript army, right? Because the, all the, um, the the Soviet formations were basically uh, all conscripts with some, uh, you know, um, career officers, whereas the Western armies were all volunteer forces, um, or most of them were all volunteer forces. So um, the ones that were depicted anyway. So uh, you... You sort of the the Soviets had these unwieldy um, stacks of units that all had to do the same thing, and that made them very vulnerable. Um, whereas the um, the NATO forces could sort of do stuff on their own, um, and I think that that's really what the the game was really a game about planning. Although there, you sort of had to you know pick what you're shooting at because it was a board game. You did everything, um, right? And here, I mean this this game really is about making up a plan. And seeing how flexible your plan is within the constraints of y- your ability to change it. Uh, yep. And so it's – it's. I mean if we were to play – if you and I were to play this game against each other, uh, it would really be my plan versus your plan rather than my counting of movement factors to get exactly into the right cover hex so that when you came around the corner, I could choose the, the most vulnerable unit and then – shoot at that one and know that I'm shooting at this, you know, side armor and I'm going to roll the dice and whatever, right?
0: Yeah, this is a game that is a lot of sitting around and waiting. It is not about always responding to the new piece of information. Mm -hmm. It is taking the new piece of information and thinking, okay, once this first initial plan is executed, can I take care of that? And if not, what is my next step? It is not about changing things on the fly uh, so much. I mean, even as NATO, you know, you quickly run into it. You might want to set a new covering unit out. You might want to change where your artillery is targeted, that sort of thing. Uh, But you don't want to start messing around in, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm panicking. There's an attack from a new direction. I have to change Everything. Okay. Because that's what gets you into trouble in this game is not having confidence in the plan. I mean it's the old cliche that no plan meets contact with the enemy. But if a, if you don't stick with your plan, then it's not a plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean it, it's,
1: it's almost like um, – I mean I found playing the Warsaw Pact a, a little – it's very hands off. It's uh, you, yeah. you sort of you order your units, you tell them where to go, and then trying to fix that doesn't really work. So what you what you kind of need to do is have a reserve, because you sort of have to have some units that don't have orders uh, that you can commit. Yeah. Uh, so you're not really changing orders. You're just sort of you know you have a you have a group of, of units that you finally say, okay, this is how the battle's shaping up. Um, these units that have been sitting around, I'm going to commit them. To this sector or this sector, and then see if that can sort of tip the balance. Um, yeah. But uh, you don't really. I mean, part of the 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 um, part of the enjoyment of this game actually is seeing how the battle sort of is shaping up. Because uh, you know, one of the things that is nice about games where you have such limited information is that if you don't read the uh, you know other sides. If if you if you play all the things from one side, you sort of get your briefing. the 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 game tells you sort of sort of what to expect, maybe, and then who knows what's going to happen, right? I mean, all of a sudden you see a whole bunch of uh, you know BTRs uh, coming down a road, uh, like armored personnel carriers, and you're you're not sure is that you know is that them going for the objective or is that you know, are they do they have a, a second sort of column coming some from somewhere else or you know is this their main thrust or is that not um, and it, it's it's um, it's it's the kind of thing that you don't get that's the one thing you don't really get in a board game um, where you you know every everything's set up you can see um, even with all of the attempts to um, to hide information and you know put concealment counters on things and dummy counters and then you get into the uh um sort of uh nightmare of plotted movement where you sort of take your attention away from the game to some external piece of paper and then you have to sort of transcribe and there are all sorts of errors that are that can come in or you may realize you made a mistake 10 turns ago and that was you know what you did was impossible um but uh (laughs) the um the thing that I really like about games like this is that it, it is sort of like a, a like a little story that you learn or f- sort of go through, um, and you may it, it's there's nothing quite like playing one of these scenarios the first time.
0: Uh,
1: yeah, there's this sort of this sense of discovery that I I I think you get out of many different genres, um, and that you don't really often get out of. Um, out of board games or, or or even hex-based war games because you sort of see the map you know even the first time you play war in the east i mean look you you know where the objective is you you know what your counters are you've you, you've you've seen this um you know a million different times and a million different board games and, and at some point you think oh well um just it's it's how many you know how many factors does it take to get to riga Uh, And then, you know, how many factors, how many factors is it from Riga to Leningrad, right? Um, But here you have these um, really kind of fictitious scenarios um, and uh, you just have a bunch of terrain that you sort of have to evaluate and then somewhere some commies are going to show up uh, and you have to, you know, you have to defend yourself against them. And I, I, that part of the the thing I like, I don't know that I like a lot of the um, having to, burrow into the game to figure out how many, you know, how many, um, you know, chieftains are still alive, uh, in that counter. Um, you know, they, they, it does, uh, it does give you some information on the counter. Um, but, uh, I think that you have to, you know, there's a, there's a whole thing about how, um, you know, what the, what the readiness is and, and, um, there's just, there's, there's a lot of stuff that, that uh, isn't immediately apparent uh, from the from the game presentation. Uh,
0: another interesting thing with the game, and I think this is relevant for the campaign more than the scenarios, mm-hmm. is how it models, is how it distinguishes between units that have fallen out, mm-hmm. and units that have been destroyed, and it really does. It really has an interest in. This is something that uh, Rob and I talked about. We mm-hmm. talked about victory conditions mm-hmm. in reminding you that. You you are really are commanding men that are that could die, mm-hmm. and equipment that might not come back, mm-hmm. and you might need it in a coming battle. Mm-hmm. And I think that's I'm trying to think of a campaign, a recent campaign in a high level war game, uh, that has had that sort of continuing theme of you know we kind of need these tanks, dude. You know don't go well, don't go charging into them. Airline battle does that, doesn't it? Airland Battle,
1: does it? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the whole okay, point of the campaign right. is that, you know, you right. you lose these that's units. Right. and That's right, yeah. And then the next scenario, you, you don't have those because they're dead. Yeah.
0: So. I, was thinking, yeah, I, I was thinking of... Uh, I, was, uh, the reason why, I don't think why that didn't clue into me as mm-hmm. a proper war game, but you're right. The RTS oh, it's side. definitely, yeah. but, oh, well, I know it is. Uh, but I mean, I'm thinking of other uh, campaign mm-hmm. probably well, because they're generally large just a larger map. They call the campaign it's a larger yeah. map, generally. More than a proper scenario-based campaign. But I really like... Um, the reports you get. Even even in the scenarios that aren't in the campaign, they give you the report. I mean, you, you might say, like, oh, wow, well, this is a great victory. You know, I destroyed all of these Soviet tanks. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, actually, some of them might be coming back. Some of them have just fallen out. Mm-hmm. You, you see all these crosses. That doesn't mean they're really destroyed. Well, tell, explain
1: you, to the listeners what when that you,
0: means. When, when you take out a unit, a uh, Soviet little red cross pops up at the map, a NATO unit little blue cross. Mm-hmm. Um so when you hit a unit and it's disabled, you're told it's a kill, so it's KIA, mm-hmm. it's called. It's called a KIA, mm-hmm. killed in action, great. But at the end of the scenario, it you gets your report. Is it a major victory, decisive victory, marginal victory, all of these things. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that, well, first there's the victory points, of course, the magic hills. You gotta control the magic mm-hmm. hills. Yeah. But a big part of that also is, you know, the how many things did you destroy and how many things were destroyed of yours. And they divide that into what is destroyed, what is actually gone, mm-hmm. and what is just out of commission for a while. Right. What has fallen out? What can be repaired more or less? Mm-hmm. So your helicopters generally, if the helicopter goes down, it's going to go down. Helicopters I've found don't fall out a lot. Mm-hmm. Their problem, they're generally killed. Okay. Uh, I don't see a lot of falling. But you know, I, I, I take out. You know, but I, th- I think, oh, I just take out twenty T-80s. Well, actually, you know, you just destroyed six. Mm-hmm. The other 14 are fallen out, and they still in enemy territory, so, you know, they could be back next week, mm-hmm. they could be back in a month, whatever, so don't get all full of yourself because you're taking all of these units. And this, they attach this to all the scenarios and all the things through the campaign as a reminder to you to not just make sure of your kills, because you can't always do that, right. but more importantly... Just because you think you have an advantage, don't go charging forward, because you don't know how many of those kills of yours are going to be permanent. Don't take a whole lot of unnecessary risks, Mm -hmm. uh, especially with command being so choppy. Right. Um, In a way, this casualty counting is... Since you'll need these units in further in future battles, because units do have elite status, it's always nice to get a reinforcement report. Hey, elite m one a one showed up. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I need some elites right now because mm-hmm. Bremen, Bremen's about to burn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these things do matter, uh, especially for the high the high value uh, units. So the, I like having that distinction between you know what's just disabled and what's being destroyed. And this is something that per- continues through the campaign. It does add a certain to the campaign, it's not just a bunch of chain scenarios. Well, it is just a bunch of chain scenarios. But you just, this sense that there is an ongoing thing happening. This is something that Rob and I talked about a couple of weeks ago. You know, we, He said, well, the important thing over casualties is you need to have those guys next week. And this game emphasizes that, yeah, you're going to need those guys next week. Um, and I really love that feel of continuity, of a wholeness to the campaign. Um, throughout, talk a little bit about the
1: campaign because um I actually haven't played it that much. I was just kind of concentrating on the individual scenarios. So, talk a little bit about how the campaign uh campaign kind of shakes out and what what you're expected to do.
0: It's yeah, I haven't played a whole. I've only played the first few scenarios, mm-hmm. so I can because they're long. Even the opening scenario, like that, took me a couple of nights mm-hmm. to play. This yeah. is not this is not a game for people who don't have time. <laughs> Even the, I mean, the, the scenarios themselves took quite a bit of time. Uh, yeah, but the, the first scenario that came, took, the came took a couple of nights um, and throughout. But there are uh, th- quite a few. There are just trying to find out some information, so I don't give people false information. Uh, there's that's not it. That's not it. Uh, the campaign is uh, it's, yeah, it's a bunch of it's, it's chain scenarios, roughly speaking. They don't flow out. Uh, necessarily in there, they, there is influence from one to the next. There is some sort. It doesn't play out as a separate. They're separate from each other. There is an effect from one scenario to the next. It does branch a little bit from one to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, forces can carry over, as I said, and that's very, very important. It starts with you know an attack uh, through the fold gap and. St- pushing forward, uh, and it, it, three. Uh, the first area, I'm, I played it for two nights, so it's pretty much imprinted in my brain. Mm-hmm. You have you start with a very small force, three bridgeheads to defend, and every tank in the Soviet Union is pointed at you, and it's crossing uh, the Elba, and it's kind of scary. Uh, And then reinforcements show up, and it's really a battle of. It starts with your defense Mm -hmm. because you have a. This is one of the great things about the campaign and some of the scenarios is you choose where your units are going to go. It's not all fixed, so you can take a look at the map, and you can decide. Okay, I want to put. I know what the objectives are. Which ones am I going to defend, and how strongly will I defend them? And you won't always know the enemy disposition. Um, you might be able to guess. You can know what their plan is from the victory points. But so if you'll have some choices, because you will not have all of the units, especially in the opening scenario in the campaign, where you have very, very few. I guess, for some reason, 100,000 tanks was a surprise to Germany. Mm-hmm. Like, holy crap, where these guys come from? So they give you a police force. Mm-hmm. And a couple of batons and mm-hmm. some NATO units mm-hmm. scattered throughout uh, the the riverhead, and then more reinforcement shop. Well, that's the, then, that's, uh, that's
1: a classic. I mean, that's the classic yeah, uh, sure. NATO uh, NATO yeah. surprise.
0: I, I know, but it always strikes me so stupid. Like, oh my God, how do how could we have ever seen this coming? Um, I guess because there's. You, there, there wouldn't be any radio chatter. I mean, come on, guys. We're paying the NSA all of this money well, the, to spy on people. The problem is uh, that,
1: that I mean, a lot of the U.S. I mean, a lot of the the American army wasn't even in Germany, right? I mean, the whole yes. idea of reforger, which yeah, was know. you know, return forces yeah. to Germany, was yeah. that we were going to once the uh, once the Soviets invaded, we were going to start you know, frantically uh, airlifting people. Yeah, I, in, so. I, I know.
0: I yeah. know. It still strikes me as weird. Uh, but anyway. Uh, so this, but then the scenario branches out. If you win, if you lose, um, it's not just your losses, but how much do you win by? Uh, is the city taken? Uh, which scenario falls out mm-hmm. after that? Um, do you have air superiority? Did, did you lose too many planes? Mm-hmm. Uh, so then you could lose air superiority. Do you have air superiority that can carry over? These are So the campaign does develop in an interesting way. Now, does, is it, it's not something I would probably play more than once to see how many ways it can play out because these are really, really deep and meaty and long scenarios. Mm-hmm. This is a game that I'll be playing uh, for quite some time, I think, to try to f- figure out just how far it goes. Um, and just to see how good the AI is, I want to play some of the scenarios more than once, mm-hmm. because I'm not quite sure how solid the AI is uh, in some places. How much of it is how much of it is command disruption, and how much of it is pure AI problems? But the campaign is, you know, it's your traditional uh, Soviet drive through Germany. Only it's not set in the 70s, like so many of them are. Mm-hmm. It's set in you know uh, 1989. Right. So it does have really super. <clears throat> Modern things going on, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of kind of neat to have an M one A one just start picking stuff off right. from like miles away, and that's really kind of neat until it runs out of ammo, and your supply lines are <laughs> jammed and something, and th- then it's not so much fun. But but, uh, but you know, it's, but go ahead. I think that that,
1: that the, the the choice of excuse me, the choice of historical period in the game uh, is actually well suited to yeah. the uh, to the system because. Yeah. You have things that sort of long range, um, things that are long range, things that are very sophisticated. So, you know, things you wouldn't be expected to, uh, you know, if, if you had a tactical game where, uh, you know, it's like a world war two game, units are going to have to be in very close proximity to shoot at one another. So, you know, you might have to sort of micromanage, um, it, it, you would you would lose control sort of um, at the point of at the point of contact. Uh, you you would be um, uh, you would be handicapped by the sort of randomness of who happened to get that you know drop on somebody first. Whereas um, in this game, the ranges are so long that uh, um, you sort of when the enemy shows up, you uh, you can already your units are already going to see them and be able to start firing at them. Um, so it doesn't, <clears throat> I don't think I'm explaining it well, but it doesn't seem, it, there's not such a dissonance uh, because mm-hmm. um, your your units just are more capable and have longer uh, range and detection also, longer detection range. So you um, you don't expect to have to babysit them as much, I guess is my point. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but that doesn't mean that it wouldn't be cool to be using some like you know, M48
0: patents. So, what do you think about how it handles uh, air power and artillery?
1: So, because
0: uh, this is because this is an era. I mean, this is the modern era, and there's going to be a lot of air. The air war will be very, very important. Mm-hmm. So, how do you? F- feel how it captures uh, the importance of the air war
1: well i mean you the the, the oh the air war because the air war and artillery i mean they're they're basically these off-map missions that you basically get to uh get to uh take advantage of uh at sort of intermittent times um and um, i mean the um it, it's, it's sort of it's it's very hands-off they're assets uh so um, you know, you can decide, and and it's it's very much you know you're you're very much limited by uh, the the turn structure because something you know you have a target that might not really be there by the time that you your planned asset hits the you know you, you have a you have a concentration of units um, at uh, a crossroads, and uh, by the time you can target them, they're gone. You're sort of pre planning that. Well, I think. S- Based on the way he's moving, there's probably going to be a lot of units uh, you know, at, in that town, so I'm going to target that town even though there's not anybody quite there yet.
0: Yeah, it's very it, – it is – this is really an army game. I mean the, the air power is there and even the artillery, which is important – the offside artillery, it's – I, I kind of like how hands-off it was, mm-hmm. and I really hated messing with it because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, th- I think I would have felt bad, you know, calling in you know, a tornado or an A-10 strike on an empty hex. Mm-hmm. I don't mind so much if the computer does it. I got to go, oh, computer, you screwed me again. That's fine. But if I made that mistake, then I'd wasted an action or I'd wasted the computer maybe having some other brilliant plan. So I kind of really leave that alone and just, you know, let the air let the Air Force guys handle that. Can you do that? Because
1: I thought I was allocating. Uh, as I recall, I was allocating individual stuff. You,
0: you, you, you can. But they can also come in on their own.
1: Oh, I wasn't doing that at all.
0: Yeah, I've often. I've, I've left the tornadoes alone. I've left the offset artillery alone, and they, they, they'll. They have their own priorities. Because um, that's a separate command structure, I guess, and that will come. They'll come in and do things. The helicopters. I mean, you got to control the helicopters. But tornadoes. I mean, you can set pri- You can set priority ranges. Of course, you can have targets you want them to go for, or they'll just take a target of opportunity. That um, was so. That's uh,
1: that's not how I was playing the game at all. So, uh, I think I want to make sure, sh- I want to make sure that, uh, I was doing that. I, said, no, I no, no, I wasn't yeah, I'm sure you're game. doing it right. I just, I, cause when I was playing the, uh, when I was playing the tutorial it was telling me is telling me where to, to, to yep. click. And, and I just did that for the rest of the, yep. for the rest of the game. Uh, I guess that there's a, uh, <laughs> that there's a micromanagement, uh, uh, um, switch that I had, uh, accidentally turned on or I just was doing it that way every time, um, that's interesting because if that's if, if you're if you're just if you're letting the, the the game I don't I don't know that I I um...
0: yeah all, all aircraft are held off map in special loiter areas for commitment to airstrikes under players direction or FSCC control mm. I wasn't using FSCC control there we go whatever that is I was letting them control things mm. um, and generally they did okay you know Um didn't hurt me too much. I still haven't seen any chemical or or, or, or gas attacks. No,
1: I didn't. I, I didn't run into that at all. We or nuclear look contamination.
0: It um, but uh, there are weapons of mass destruction uh, in the game, so that's something to look forward to in a later scenario, I guess. I
1: haven't played any. I've, I haven't come across any of that either. So uh, I don't have an opinion on that. That be that would be interesting to. Uh, but I guess at at that point, right? If you if you if you um, there's no real point really. In a tactical game, to using a tactical nuclear weapon because that just basically wipes out the map, right? So, yep. uh, I guess it would be uh, you know an, an additional obstacle where you have to go through uh, nuclear contamination or something like that. Um, there was a there was a game where um, um, they chemical and 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 um, like a biological warfare, uh, well, especially chemical warfare. The, the um, I remember playing one game where it the the assumption was that the degradation that the attackers would, uh, suffer from, um, from their protective equipment going through the area that they had struck with chemical weapons would basically offset the effect of the chemical weapons on the defenders. So, uh, they basically said, uh, um, it, it basically factored out and, uh, and and uh, I thought that was kind of a cop out, but uh, I don't know if it's if it's in this game or not. I I'll have to investigate further and see how they how they deal with it.
0: Cool. Yeah, something I do want to take a look at uh, in a bit. Um, so, trying to think of are there any other Cold War games or recent Cold War games you'd recommend? We have uh, the War Game series, uh, mm-hmm. which we love. There's Red Dragon coming out soon.
1: Yes, Red Dragon, the uh, Airland battle uh, goes to china
0: so i guess we, must, we we both enjoy this game quite a bit i think yeah i liked
1: it i mean i i uh, um I, I guess i'm i'm a little I, I don't know that i would sit through this game um, for as long as it would take to play the campaign through because one of the things that i really enjoy about playing games like this is that is sort of the the calculation of of making a move and seeing where the player is going to make his counter move, and then where's my next move going to be, uh, and uh, which is why I like the Shenandoah game so much. And this is really a game where I sort of make a plan and then see how it goes, and then kind of adjust it, uh, and then kind of react to things. But it's the um, the length of time that it takes to sort of watch something develop, and as you sit there. And watch your units move, and then don't see any enemy, and then you watch your units move, and then all of a sudden, you know, the combat starts. But you're very much a spectator in this game for long periods. Uh, and so mm-hmm. if you don't like that, and that's, I'm not really, that's not necessarily my, uh, my taste. Um, right. So if if that's the kind of game that you don't like, then you probably don't want to investigate this further. But it, it has, a, I mean, there are, there are a lot of things to recommend the game.
0: Yeah, this is a game that I think suits a lot of my play style, that it doesn't. Be, it uh, will let me sit and watch things happen. Uh, that ant farm game, city builder side of me, mm-hmm. that just likes to watch things happen and then take stock of them, mm-hmm. uh, I think is one reason that uh, this, I think I respond quite well to what's going on mm-hmm. in uh, FPCRS.
1: <laughs> so, uh, do you. Do you, how how much of the information do you actually take advantage of?
0: What information, well, sort of that I in the game
1: I... in the game? How much how di- how deeply do you dig into? Because you said you like to you like to to uh, to plan and then and then watch the game unfold. So how how? Um,
0: um I like to s- set the plan and then so as H two and P2 comes up. I haven't. There's no way that I've. I, I'm close to being a master mm-hmm. at the game, or I understand everything that I'm doing yet. Um, so clearly, there's still uh, a lot of learning to do here. Mm-hmm. But um, I take in as much as I can. You know, I, I I read the reports as they come in. I check all the I mean, I, the, I check all the sight lines and all the layovers, uh, the the rollovers, continually uh, to make sure that I see what's going on. I play with. I also play with all the helpers off, Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't see the enemy. I don't see – because you can play – seeing the enemy units are with Fog of War, and I play with Fog of War because I'm a man. (laughs) <laughs> uh so of course i play with fog four yeah. that's just the way the game is meant to be played uh so there's but i, I like digging into pretty much everything that's going on here um uh, there's so much information in it there is a lot going on and like I said, i'm not going to be mastering it or understanding it or being able to invade germany uh anytime this summer but there is i'm not gonna i i, I think i'm actually learning things <laughs> weirdly mm-hmm. enough um whether I learn things in you know like harpoon or even war game uh, airline battle, learning things where there I learned about hardware, Here I'm learning things about, you know highways learning things about major transport arteries, learning how long does it take something to get moving. Are these accurate? Probably not. Uh, but there are things that I start to pick up as I go through one of these really long scenarios. How long is it going to take my guys to get across that bridge? And if it's going to take them too long to get there, maybe I should think about taking moving them somewhere else and using the experience from other failed instructions. In um, digesting that, mm-hmm. and seeing a plan fall apart, and adjusting it um, once you know your recon machine goes up in smoke. Right. There's there's a lot of feedback, and it's a lot of it's in the numbers, a lot of it's in the details, but a lot of it's also just watching what's going on, and watching the plan either crumble or expand in front of you, um, having reinforcements show up, and if you don't read. In great detail, the scenario briefing. You might know know what's showing up. Now it gives you a timeline of something's gonna be showing up in the next sometime in the next 48 hours. Well, that's not a lot of help, Mm -hmm. but you might know you'll be getting some helicopters soon. And if so, can you wait for them? If you can, can you afford to wait for those to show up to change your plan or to bring your reserves in or not? And there's so many neat little calculations that transpire in just creating this plan and adapting it. I think I like the sitting and watching and waiting and the, the, just the pressing next turn. You know, it's kind of something we critics like to complain about. All you do is sit and press next turn. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, that's always a bad thing, but it's not always a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes pressing next turn is actually a good thing because it lets you, you don't always have to be doing something. Sometimes just watching things unfold in front of you, and absorbing the information the game's trying to tell you, is more important than oh, I'd better be researching a new technology now. Otherwise, the game's a failure. So there's my defense of the, the not defense of the game because you're not attacking it, but an explanation for why I think it's um, something that people should t- t- probably, if they're interested in war games, they should probably certainly take a look. I wish there was a demo. Yeah. I mean, I really think, I mean, guys of Matrix had more, they've done a lot of Matrix games uh, in the Winter of War games, mm-hmm. and they've, they've done so many really, published some really interesting ones mm-hmm. in the last year. But man, could they use demos.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, it would, You, if you played this game, if you played a demo, I wonder if they could just give you like one scenario and then have it just stop in the middle. Um, you could, I think, get an idea pretty quickly of whether this is something that you would enjoy or not.
0: Yeah. So I think we can wrap that up All right. here. Uh, thank you all for listening to the Winter of Wargaming. Um, if we're not finished, and Rob is back next week with... Oh, I think we wanted to do something on uh, Scourge of War. We wanted to play Scourge of War at least, but we need to get seven people for that. Uh, no, eight people to do it right. We need eight people to play Scourge of War right, I think.
1: Scourge of War.
0: Yeah, Scourge of War, you get Gettysburg. Oh yes, it, yes. we have an over commander and then three right, sub commanders. Right, right, Ideally, we'd have eight people, but we don't know eight people who want to play that. Yeah. Uh, that uh, that we'll would be that
1: would be probably given our schedules. That would probably be impossible to. Uh,
0: we all probably do it sometime in sometime in twenty sixteen. Yeah, well, or twenty seventeen for President Rand Paul's inauguration.
1: Okay, great. Yes, perfect.
0: Thank you all for listening, and thank you to Michael Hermes for of the amazing editing work he's going to be doing on this show. Uh, And thanks, Bruce, uh, for being here again.
1: All right. Well, thanks for uh, letting me talk about uh, the um, war we almost had but didn't. There we go. Good night, everyone. Good night.